Hey, it's Chris Lindsay, and you're listening to Pitch List, the songwriter's podcast. So we're starting the Amy Mayo interview, and our new puppy, Batman, just peed on the floor right when we started the interview. (laughs) So I hope that's not, uh, what's the word, foreshadowing? No. (laughs) So... Um, I'm going to try to be professional about this. Um, Dana, the lady who helps me with the podcast, and I've been talking a long time about getting my wife, Amy Mayo, the fabulous Amy Mayo, um, on the podcast. So we're sitting down here on a Friday night. For some reason, the kids are all entertained somewhere else uh, here and there. We've got a couple hours here, so we're going to sit down and talk. And uh, I'm going to interview Amy as professionally as I possibly can. So hello, Amy. Hello, baby. <laughs> While you were getting the dogs, I, I, I was thinking, I, I, I have some questions that I that I don't know. So we've been together. We've been married for eighteen years. We've been collaborators for maybe twenty two, twenty two, maybe twenty three years. Twenty three, probably. Um. So we really have uh, worked together a long time. Now we don't work together exclusively. We work with other partners often. Um. I say maybe we write together about half of our time. Does that sound about right? Yeah. yeah. Which I think is healthy. I oh, don't, for sure. I, I really respect what the Warren brothers do. I don't, but they have a unique situation and uh, they work so well together. I was asking, um, I was asking Brett the other day, did they ever, have they ever written a part? I, I asked him, um, have you guys ever written a song like without the other one? And he said, no, they've never it's written so a crazy. song without so each other. So they've never, well, it sure has worked for them. Yeah. Um, so my first question I wrote down is, what do you think that you do best? That's my question for you. Oh, That's my first question. Is that too hard? You want me to warm you up on some other ones first? No, now you got me on this one. I got to think about so it. So I'm wondering, like, what do you think? Because I've heard, I've had other people tell me, um, you you have won uh, BMI Writer of the Year Award, nominated for Grammys. You have uh, won Song of the Year. You've... Uh, You've you've got what are you fourteen Tim McGraw cuts? I don't know, but a bunch. A bunch. He was always who I was trying to talk my target. Right. Well, I think that you and Tim are um, similar uh, upbringing and similar part of the country and similar yeah. taste in music. When I met him the first time, I felt like he was my brother. He reminded me of my brother. Yeah. And I think I think that's part and of Kenny's the same way. I think part of the thing there is that. What you like, they may like. Yeah. And that's like how people, we, as we tell young writers sometimes, we tell them, you know, you'll come up with your people, you know, and that's because you have a shared sensibility about what you think is cool. Yeah. Um, when, that, when you asked me that question, the first word that popped in my head was confessional. I think that might be what I do best. I just kind of mm. flood my emotions out and just, you know, because I think if you're feeling something and you get it out right, then it's going to touch other people because they everybody's kind of feeling the same things at no, different times. Right. So the the whole no tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. Yeah, Robert that, Frost. Yeah. So songs like the one you did with Caitlin, um, that's on her House new House of re- Cards. Yeah, on the new. I love that song. Star, so is it much. Starfire? Is it the yeah record? Starfire? Starfire. So great record, and that cut is so. Great. That's um, my favorite cut I've had in a long, long time. That's an example of what you're talking about. Because I I know you personally, and I know you were actually going through a 
Not dark, but you were having a rough time. No, I wasn't going through a dark time. Um, which is unusual for you. And yeah. and you had Caitlin coming over one night, and y'all yeah. got some uh, Coors Light and sat out there in your studio. And that was like a diary entry, I think. It, the first, it came out of my diary, yeah. like the first three lines of it. So it's self-confessional, like self-confessional poetry. Well, really, it's just my diary. I mean, the first lines were like... I've been praying, asking God for help, but lately I feel like I'm just talking to myself. Those were the lines right out of my diary. Those are great lines. And Caitlin was like, oh my God, let's write something with this. But what I love about that song is that it takes kind of three different roads. Like I I was listening to it the other day, like there's part of it in there where I'm missing my dad. Like I still miss you and I want you back and I'm out here like digging under the mirror moon trying to dig up the past that that part of that lyric i'm talking about my daddy then i'm a dreamer you know but i feel like i'm not good enough that part of it i'm talking about something different and caitlin and me were on the same exact tracks we were talking about different things but the lyrics fit both Mm -hmm. like she was missing somebody different she's chasing her dream of being you know like where she needs to be on the grammy stage and like I just love the lyric because it's talking about so many different things and it doesn't make perfect sense. But it makes emotional sense. Yeah. Uh, a country lyricist might say in the old, you know, 20 years ago, say that's a, that vague rock lyric, you know, where they don't talk. They just talk about their feelings and, you know, that's no good. It's kind of like but, comfortably numb. Right. But but the but that type of rock lyric, I think, stays dreamy enough so that everyone can plug into it. Mm-hmm. Because if you get too specific then it may may not fit your you know your situation but um another thing i just thought of in that song it's true i feel like songs that are true they work and songs that are contrived they just kind of make everybody want to barf yeah all art really yeah movies books any painting anything it's got to be a part of somebody 100% you know and we went to Caitlin's uh album release party and as we were leaving, we were trying to give Caitlin a hug, but she had such a huge line of fans that had come. Yeah, that it was thing, awesome. Uh, wanting to get signature, you know, her to sign and get pictures, and so we just kind of tapped her on the back and said, "Bye, we got to go." But she started to give you a hug, and she was with a fan who was crying. Mm-hmm. Caitlin had tears in her eyes too. About and the fan was completely. I felt like an idiot because I interrupted them. They turned around. They're but it both was meant crying. to be. It was meant to be. Because the girl was crying about the song you wrote with Caitlin on that yeah. record. And she had driven here from like Philadelphia. No, she took two planes. Two planes. That's right. She, um, yeah. To I hadn't Caitlin had because that reaction that, in a while to Because a song. of the song that you had written with Caitlin. Yeah. That was, that was pretty amazing. Like, mm-hmm. it's crazy when you're talking to somebody and they start crying. They just make you start crying. It was kind of like a triangle of well, that. And that's, I think that is the thing that you do best is repackage your sorrow to help other people yeah so um let's move on because we could probably spend the whole hour talking about that subject right there but you know i do feel like there are people that do listen to the podcast that are curious about the nashville tradition and the nashville songwriting way and are probably writers themselves and trying to figure out how they fit in and what they need to do to up their game and and come here so I, i i like to talk about those things on the podcast because i think it's helpful you're 
taking what happens to you and that's your art and, and, and reflecting it back. I think that's everybody's art. I think it is. And I think that, that, that where I was headed with this is like sort of let people know maybe who are just beginning their journey as writers. Try not to make stuff up. Yeah, it's that's hard. the opposite. It's really hard. That's the opposite of what we're talking about. Yeah, what you're talking about, how you do it. The opposite is to like. Now current. I make stuff up. No, I know, all the I know. Time. We do it. I but just I don't like it. We do, it doesn't usually work out. I never. I don't feel like I ever get anything good sitting in a quiet session staring at notebook paper wanting to kill myself i mean it's yeah. it's so hard it's not inspirational i mean i need like i feel kind of like a racehorse when i go into a writing room i got about 90 minutes and i'm ready to go right and and if you at like i feel like everybody turns stupid at four o'clock like at four o'clock people just start like especially I've seen it a lot like in newer writers they just start trying to tear the song apart yeah and then everybody's so confused and you leave not even knowing if it was any good and then two months later you'll find the work tape and be like oh my god why didn't we finish this and I think there is that couple hour window where you're going to have hit the magic spot and if you and the magic that's what I think every writer lives for sure because like so I've gotten to where when I feel like my muse or inspiration come in the room, it just, it just, I, I'm having to calm myself down because, like, when I, when you get that big burst of energy and, and like that magic feeling, it's like, you know, it ain't going to last that long. You're trying right. to absorb every bit of it and get as much as you can out of it before it disappears. And one thing I've noticed is that those moments, usually are you could never plan them you'll be writing a song and you'll hit like a chord progression and it'll just take you into another world for a minute and it'll all happen really fast like most of those songs happen super fast this is interesting to me because as as well as i know you i just had something click for me it's hard like if you if somebody's building a track or if you walk in and they've already made a track mm-hmm. it's all kind of nailed down there ain't going to be any surprises. You right. know what I mean? Musically. Right. It's mapped so, out. Yeah. If you sit down, you're not going to have most of the best things I think happen accidentally. Of course. And so you're not going to have any no. surprises, accidents like what the hell is this and detours. You're going to be stuck to that. So when I sit down and whoever starts making a track, then the, there's no freedom of all the roads you could take. Well, you're, you're, already, getting box, you're already getting boxed in. Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like you're coming in for an adventure, and right when you sit down, your partner's like, here's a map, and we're taking 72A, and we'll be in Birmingham in an hour. Yeah. And you're like, well, damn it, I was wanting to go somewhere new. Yeah. Well, we're yeah. going to Birmingham. I want to go somewhere I've never so been. So I'll tell you what I try to do, and especially with you, because I know your thing. Because some people do like the track experience. Oh, yeah. Some it, people... No, wait a minute. I love it. I love it sometimes. I mean, like, I love it once it's made. You know, it's yeah. just sitting in here for three hours. Like What works for us, and because I think you're right. I don't, I don't want to have a chord sequence up. But what does work if I get a drum loop, a couple drum loops yeah. that I yeah. like, I think that can work. But that's as far as I think you do want to go because yeah. it's better to sit down with y'all and just the energy of the of your interaction with me will make me play different. So I agree and I understand something better now where you've got this limited window of mojo and yeah. you don't want to waste it while we're just, you know, just geeking out on geeky music stuff that's really not part of the composition. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm going to switch gears now because I think we got some inside baseball there. It was good. Um, I had written down on my question list, uh, when you were in uh, high school, I know, I know your story. So you were often grounded. Always grounded. Always grounded. You uh, spent time in your room listening to records. By myself. This is pre-internet. So yeah. records and books. And I developed a raging OCD. Did you uh, have with a- With writing stuff down. Did you have a TV? No. Okay. So you All said, I had was a jam box and notebooks. I know that you fell in love with Rick Springfield. Yep. From Jesse's Girl's first single on him. Right? Yes. I thought we were getting married. I right. believed it with every fiber of my being. Right. And I know all about that. And I've actually. And we wrote with Rick we wrote Springfield with on Rick Valentine's Day. A, cu- a couple times we wrote with Rick. Didn't we do it twice no, or just one once? Time. Just one time. One I remember time. he had a Starbucks coffee uh, cup. It said Rick. And you <laughs> saved it. You snatched Until it. it molded. You snatched it off the piano when he was in here. And I was like, all right, I'll give her that. And it was funny because I didn't tell him about sneaking backstage. I didn't tell him no. any of that. But he would look over at me, and I think he could see the psycho in oh, my eyes knows. every he now knows. and then. He has a lot of psycho and fans. And he grinned, and I, like I saw his dimple, and I think I turned 13, and yeah. I was just like, oh, my God, it's Rick yeah. Springfield. It was freaking me out. Here's a question I've never asked you, I thought of. When you were a teenager and you're in your bedroom, you're, you know, in love with Rick, listening to his records, dreaming of marrying Rick, or you, I remember you told me- I you, wanted to write songs with Rick, too. That was my question, because yeah. you, you told me you had this elaborate plan to go to California, rent a car, accidentally get in a wreck with him yeah. in front of his house. Yeah. And then, and then marry him. And then marry him, which, <laughs> honestly- <laughs> To everyone listening, as crazy as that sounds, it would have worked. <laughs> so it would have not been good for me if you'd have done that. I know when Rich Springfield, he got married when I was 13. That's mm. when like, well, he tore my heart out. This is the question I never ask you. So did you dream that you would write with him? Yeah. Yeah. I loved his song. So I'm like, in a way, I'm like the Rick Springfield proxy. Yeah. Like I'm like. The ver- the like a fat Rick Springfield. Oh, shut up. <laughs> that, oh my come God. on, that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, when we wrote with him, I think he was 50-something. How old was I he? I don't know. Well, he's 23 years old. Yeah, he, me, was six, so he was like 60 He was something. in his 60s when we wrote with him, and I asked him, are you preserved or embalmed in some way? What, what procedure are you using? Because he literally looked 38. It was pro- it's probably something like Missy said, it's all that it's money. It's all that money. <laughs> Our friend Missy Gallimore says that. It's all that money. She, who did she originally say that about? Well, I saw, was it Tim? I saw Tim at the awards, and <laughs> he just looked like he walked out of a magazine or something. Like His suit was so perfect. It was yeah, so like... Tan. It's like, how the hell did they even make that suit look? I mean, the way it looked. Yeah. It was like a tailor made it five seconds before he walked out the door. Mm-hmm. And um, I told Missy, I was like, look at that. That He doesn't even look real. And she's like, it's all that money. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite cut ever? Oh, God. Um, Just your favorite. I know you're not supposed to say that. It's like, what's your favorite kid? But... I th- well, one my, of your favorites, my, some of your favorites. My gut, like I'm just going with the first title that popped in my head when you mm-hmm. said that, because Amazed really should be my favorite cut, and maybe in a way it is my favorite, because mm-hmm. it yeah. like it's changed my life. It changed our lives, yeah. Um, but the first, this is probably it for a different reason. The first song that popped in my head as my favorite cut was um, My Best Friend by Tim McGraw. 
Mm-hmm. Because when Bill Luther and me sat down, we wrote that song at night. When we sat down, I wrote these lines um, about, I never had no one I could count on. I've been let down so many times. I was tired of hurting, so tired of searching, and then you came in my life. That little chunk, after it came out, I told Bill, Tim McGraw's going to cut this song. We had never had it. We had never even had a Tim McGraw hold. I mean, it just seemed like another universe. Sure. But you had got that um, place 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 in the the sun. sun. You had got a cut on him. And once one of your friends, they get something like that, somebody you work with all the time, it makes it seem a little more possible to you. Oh, sure. And so we pitched that song. I'll never forget, I was driving down 65, and Missy Gallimore called me, and she put Tim on the phone. And um, But wait a minute. First, I didn't know it was Missy yet. It was just Tim to start with. And so I'm like, hello, and he's like, Amy, this is Tim McGraw. And I'm like, <laughs> who the hell is this? <laughs> and it's like, it's Tim McGraw. No, really, it is. And I'm like, whatever. And then Missy started yelling in the background, Amy, it's Tim. <laughs> and so then I was like, oh, my God, I had to pull the car over. And um, I remember the first time going in to Missy's office to hear that cut with Bill Luther. Bill Luther, who's one of the most talented people I've ever known I, in my I, life. I, I went with y'all. Yeah, you did go I with did. us. It was a fall day. Yes, it, it was, was a in beautiful the, day. The, it was beautiful, and it was at the old, you know, the Charlie Pride building yeah. that used to be in. And I just remember sitting there. It was so surreal hearing him because I was such a fan and hearing him sing. And he did these little things like at the end of it, kind of the little signature Mm -hmm. things he does. Mm -hmm. And Bill Luther, like he it was just awesome because we shared it together that there's a lot of things around that song. And it made me see like what I was possible because that happened I'd had a hit on Mark Wills and a song, Three Chords and the Truth, on Sarah Evans, but Tim McGraw was the yeah. first big thing. Well, and you know, and it, it was just a thing, but Tim was- I re- called the radio yeah. stations and requested that song every single yeah. day. So you were a, an actual fan of Tim, and because uh, I know it was important to you to get that cut, and I know that when we pitched Amazed, you took it straight to Missy. Yeah. She took it to Tim, and he passed, and I remember you were devastated. I, well, he, I don't know if that's the right he, word, devastated. Yeah, yeah that's the right you, word. I really had to talk you off the ledge on that he, one for a couple um, days. He and Faith had just cut, they had just cut and had a big hit on It's Your Love. That song just threw me over the damn edge. I remember when we, oh my gosh. we went out to the old fanfare. Yeah. And the wind was blowing, she was pregnant, and, and he's I was standing, standing behind beside her, like, you, oh my God. she was pregnant, and they were singing a duet. I think it was the, their it whole was, love that yeah. was, was just, yeah. Just stunned by it. I, that's, I forgot about that. That was part of the deal. It was their, their whole love affair. But I'm convinced Amazed has the energy of you and me falling in love and our co-writer, Marv Green, him yep. and his wife, Tasha, they were falling in love, and so mm-hmm. were we, and all that just kind of like just got inside that song, and it's still inside that song every time I hear it. When it those first notes when it comes mm-hmm. on the radio, it's like you can feel you can feel that feeling. You do. Uh, I heard it this morning on uh, XM. It's on an ad for Y two K Country Radio, and it goes bang. Oh my gosh! It's the very first little thing they play, and it it does make your stomach go. Yeah, oh. yeah. Gives you that little feeling. I love the thing we were talking about, how people used to come up and tell me, 
they would say, um, Amazed was our wedding song. And they were so happy. And then I was sitting at this bar on a bar stool. And this girl, this girl said, um, yeah, Amazed was my wedding song. I'm divorced now. I hate that fucking song. So now I guess that enough time has gone by that people, <laughs> half of them are divorced. Thanks for listening, everybody. Pitch List will be right back. And we are back with the fabulous Amy Mayo. So when you started out, you said uh, you thought you might write with Rick. But I wrote poetry but before that's that. That's where I wanted to head. That's I was what obsessed I obsessed with poetry. Th- that's what I want to talk about. Because I, I know a little bit about, because I've watched you many times zip off of just like, you'll do a free form poem and it's just amazing. It'll be really I great. I love doing it. And you're really great at it. I mean, we used to sit in bars when when we would go to bars when we were younger and um, you'd play that game where we all just like freeform wrote, you know, we'd pass a spiral notebook around and you remember that? Yeah. I'm still stuck on when we were younger and went okay. to bars. You we know, went to I a knew, bar last week. I know you weren't going to like that. <laughs> Back then we had time to go out Back at then, night. Back then we went out every night. We went out every night. Yeah. And we would sit in a booth and uh, it's something I never knew to do, but you did it. You would have a spiral notebook and you would write like a, this crazy verse, uh, just this crazy run on sentence. Mm-hmm of poetry that was just beautiful and then you'd hand it to me and then i'd hand it to marv and then brett james would do it yeah, and hillary yeah, yeah. would do I it found, and troy i found some of that in a and there were there were some of those uh long epic things that were written that was you hillary Lindsay, uh brett james troy would write them gordy uh McEwen sometimes uh who else whoever was with whoever us. was with this barry dean might write one in there and it would go all night and you could go back and read them and they were fabulous yeah what I'm I asking think people is, write better when they're not thinking about it. Absolutely. I mean, un, it's so hard to not edit yourself, but that's where the magic comes from. Right. That's why Paul Simon's my favorite songwriter, because I feel, and Paul McCartney, both of them, I feel like they can both like just let themselves go and not edit the magic out of it, you know? Right. Like, I love that Renee and Georgette Magritte with their dog after the war Anybody that would write that, I'm just like down with Yeah, that's a song title. That's the title. That's the title. Paul Simon. And then there's a lyric on this song he wrote about his daughter that said, I'll stand guard over you like the postcard of a golden retriever. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that little magic place. Tom Douglas goes to that place. Yep, he does. Like, um, he just... He's a poet, you know, like, yeah. he's amazing. Well, so my question is, you are such a poet, and you started out with poetry. W- at what point did you decide that it would be songwriting for you and not poetry? Did you ever think of just being a poet, or was it always... No, be- I is- never really thought. I didn't even know people were poets. Well, okay. I guess I did, because I... Yeah, was- because you love Sylvia yeah, Plath. I love Sylvia Plath, and... Okay, that's a stupid thing to say, because it's <laughs> my favorite book. I don't know why I said that, because Emily Dickinson... I know what Dickinson- you mean, though. I know what you mean. I, nobody, I think people weren't nobody that around us. Yeah, nobody would. It be, was like yeah. all these poets I was obsessed yeah. with. They were kind of before my time. Old school. And, and, I mean, the only poet I even know from the last thirty years is Maya Angelou. Right. Or I the, talked to her on the phone. Remember? I know. We were so supposed great. to write. She she quoted. That was one awesome thing. She quoted this one's for the girls. She said, "Thank you for writing empowering songs for women." Yeah, that was so beautiful. So you have a. Uh, 
and we're not going to get into this now, but you are uh, close. You're nearing the first end hurdle of a book you've been working on for twelve years. And yeah, um, it's been a long road. We're not going to interview. I'm not going. I'm not going to interview you about the book. No, no, I'm so happy though because I can see, I can see the golden light at the end of this dark, crazy, winding tunnel. What I wanted to say was, I think another fascinating thing about you is that you are a poet. Here, here's the interesting, what's the right word, dichotomy or duality. You are a very Southern girl, right? Yeah. Who got into the Bad Grammar Hall of Fame <laughs> for the first line of My Best Friend, which says, I ain't never had no one. Yeah. That's a double negative. Yeah. And you are an absolute expert on Vladimir Nabokov. You really are. People wouldn't know that about you, and I think it's impressive. I sometimes and you love think, the language. You love his yeah, language. Yeah, he's got the best arsenal of language I've ever seen. So you're an, you're an incredible poet, and then you're also a country music songwriter. And you are soon to be a best-selling memoirist. That's another thing that I learned from you. What? Love what you love. Well, how could you love not it love probably. what you love? Lots of people are afraid of what they love. Lots of people are embarrassed about their, what they love. Lots of people won't write songs that they love because they don't think it's cool. They think something else is cool because some other kids said that was cool and they weren't cool. I'm telling you, a lot of people are very inhibited based on what they think other people think. Here's the truth, though. Nobody thinks shit about anybody because right. they're too worried about themselves. That's right. If you're worried about what people are thinking of you, you should set yourself free right now because they are not thinking of you. They're worried about their own damn selves. Yeah. They don't ever think of you. Everybody just wants to be loved. It's pretty it's easy. It's pretty simple. And, you know, we're all just struggling to tell our story, really. I mean, that's ultimately, at the end, we're just trying to tell our story. And, and find and some I, kind of purpose in our life to right. help that'll let us help other people. I realized when I was interviewing Bob DePiro, that's what it, I, it struck me. It really, I, I teared up. We've been both very fortunate. Um, we had some good teachers, and you uh, leads me into uh, your dad, Danny Mayo, was a big songwriter here. Yeah. And, when uh, I was 13, my dad moved to Nashville. Yeah. And my dad was a badass writer, too. One of the songs was called Jesus and Mama by Confederate Railroad. He put that band together. Mm-hmm. The first line said, I made a wish upon a star. I could have a brand new car. Got tired of wishing, so I stole one. 17 and knew it all. My dreams were big, but my thoughts were small. So many roads, somehow I chose the wrong one. But Jesus and Mama always loved me. I mean, like, mm-hmm. they still are, are just as true. And he was also the first person to ever put a gay person in a country song mm-hmm. in Feed Jake. Feed Jake. And if you have an earring, they'll say you're gay. But if you drive a pickup, they'll say, no, he must be straight. Mm-hmm. It's another great, you know, Feed Jake, there's a lot of people around town. That's one of their favorite country songs of all time. Yeah. Kent Earls. Our, I, our I friend that runs Feed Universal, he my loves Feed Jake. My dad wrote that song by himself, and he didn't even play an instrument. I think that's something, we're going to tell that story right now. That's where I was headed with this. So Amy's father, Danny, was really brilliant. Um, he did some very unconventional things, and he uh, that's putting it mildly. He, got, he went to a slaughterhouse and got two bull balls, testicles, put them in a big giant jar, and took and pitched a cassette tape of this song with that jar and said you're the only one with the balls to cut this song stuff like that he did a lot of stuff like that um so danny had a technique that he loved which was he would stay and i'm not i don't ever i've never done this and i'm not saying anybody should do it but he did this 
he would stay up three nights in a row with no sleep. Yeah. Literally. But he was bipolar and manic. So that he you probably know, was, he was a little bit crazy. He was, was a, a lot, lot crazy. crazy. A lot crazy. I've thought about this and I think he loved writing after the third night of no sleep because he, you get that far without sleep and you're not going to edit yourself you the same. You're, you're removing your ego. Exactly. But you put your subconscious behind the wheel. By the third yeah. night, that's what you're doing. And that's what I'm always trying to do of in course. any way I can. The subconscious writes and the ego edits. And it couldn't be more true. Another thing that he did I thought was so interesting, um, he would stay up and on the third night he wrote this entire song, Feed Jake, which was a country classic. He went into County Q the next week, right? Yeah. And to demo the song, they had assembled seven guys to play the music. Well, Danny doesn't play an instrument at all. And he mm-hmm. had no partner because he wrote him 100%. So he, Danny goes into the piano booth with a piano player, slaps his leg, and sings a song, and the piano player just guesses the chord. The piano player hears well, the melody. Well, Merle Haggard told me in Denny's that he wrote three of his biggest hits tapping his leg. Yeah, and Brett James wrote Sun Goes Down tapping his leg. Yeah. There's so there something, something to, to it. it. Yeah. Actually, I never realized this, but he's where I learned... How to work in the studio because my mm-hmm. dad, since he didn't play or know the cor- the cor- you know the chords right. and all that stuff, he knew some of the chords, but he didn't know the number system. He would just go up to JT or whoever was playing. And he would be like, "Less Casey and the Sunshine Band, more Jackson Brown." You know, like right. I think that works better with musicians than anything. The, the they, players it, well, actually it, it turns everybody's yeah, car yeah, the same way. It does turn everybody's car the same way, and it it gives a broader direction and it explains what you want what you're trying to catch that's right i think danny was really a genius uh he was uh gone way too soon yeah way too soon he got it for i know that the night of his 49th birthday i know and i know you miss him every day and we we talk about him often Um, well that's a lot of why it took me so long in to write my book because i realized i'll try not to get emotional but i realized while i was writing the book he was alive and with me on the pages. I know. Um, the other great thing is part of your memoir, most of your memoirs about your life with your father. Or, it's kind of uh, like, uh, well, a well lot of it. it's kind it's of like going after a dream, but it's also a love letter to my dad. Yes. It's a memorial to your father and yeah. it's, and he, and he's worthy of it. Yeah, he is. So moving on, um, let's talk to you about girls in country music. I know you get a lot of guy cuts. And, yeah. Uh, but you've had big girl cuts too. I've and had, we had a good run. probably 10, 90% guy cuts, I realize that. Girl. But we did have things like this one's for the but, girls. But and we my, had Kelly's, a lot of Kelly Pickler stuff we did. My favorite music growing up was all guys. Okay. Freddie Mercury's my favorite singer. I love Queen. I love um, Lionel Richie. Yeah. I love Metallica and Guns N' Roses. Do you think it's a more natural place for you to write a male yeah, song? Yeah, for some reason I feel like for some reason I feel like that my perspective is more male. So when I sit down, I kind of I don't know what that's about, like but at the same time my perspective is more male, but I have to be careful, like in check with whoever I'm writing with mm-hmm. that my words aren't too flowery. Agreed. Because we, we, it does come up every now and then. Yeah. We were writing with Marv a while back, and we, we you had, there was like three or four lines that you had added that were great, and Marv and I were kind of like, and you're like, are they girly? And we are like, yeah, they're a little bit girly. Yeah. 
That's but I great. Have, I have found like But you don't the, often do that. You usually write male lines great. The I have written some songs and not that many, but with like just me and another girl. Like Caitlin, we did House of Cards. Mm-hmm. Um Matresa Berg and I did that song was so emotional. The one You're that, still here. Yeah, that's and a great Faith one. The Hill Faith Cutting. Cut, yeah. Like, but I found that writing with girls, it can be a way more intimate thing than writing with guys it's like i don't know exactly how to explain it maybe because you can be more vulnerable or something but i've gotten some songs that i really love with matresa and caitlin and hillary lori lori mckenna i've gotten some songs with them that like you just pull something out of each other and um I don't know. I couldn't have written some of those songs with a guy. I couldn't have written any of them with a guy. So, and I wonder, I guess I've always thought uh, just your job just in as a Nashville songwriter and a signed songwriter, you really need to be able to write male country. It's just such a big part of our business that maybe you just taught yourself to do it, you know? Yeah, maybe. I don't, yeah. Well, no, my dad, I think it's because my dad, when we, when I grew up, we always listened to Bob Seger, Jackson okay. Brown, right. Chris Christopherson. Yeah. I never, like, the only female artist that I really loved growing up was Cindy Lauper. I yeah. wanted to be Cindy Lauper, mm-hmm. but, like, I wasn't really that into Madonna. Like, right. That's true. Really, you're not. I wasn't really into any of them but Cindy Lauper. That's the only female artist I've ever heard you talk about. She's the only one that made a big impression on because me. Because you love more metal. You love Ozzy. I love Ozzy. I love Randy, Zach Wilde. I love Randy Metallica. Randy Rhodes, Ozzy. Yeah. You love Metallica. I love all of it. So all you like that. heavy, heavy guitar yes, stuff. Yes, I love it. Loud. Yes. Electric guitar is my favorite instrument. Yeah. And then cello. I only dated one guy that wasn't a musician, and that yeah. didn't last long. He was he was an athlete, and he was looking in the rearview mirror and ran the ditch. I'm like, I'm done with this <laughs> shit. Well, it's made my life rich to be with you because you understand me, um, and I think it's from growing up with Danny. Well, and because I do music. Yeah. Most people can't believe that we, like when I tell people I work with my husband, they're mm-hmm. just like, oh my God, how yeah. do you do that? Well, That's really weird for us because like we'll be in a huge fight and have to come out here and write and it's like, you know, you're mad at each other mm-hmm. and you're trying not to freak your other co-writer out. Yeah. You know we what I mean? We have a key word though. Yeah, we do. Popsicle. Right. If that's we're our... in a big, if anybody's writing with us and we say the word popsicle that it's means meet outside yeah meet outside shut, and shut, shut the, the f- up we've not had to call popsicle often i remember that what was that one where you're like just play the piano piano boy <laughs> in front of that australian chick artist remember that no i remember saying that because you've never shut it was up at your old it, house but- oh because i never said <laughs> It was some girl Australian artist, and I don't. I just don't think you you didn't like the way she was talking to me. There was something about her. Well, one thing I think we've both learned: negativity in the writing room mm. shuts it all down. Oh, it's not good. It doesn't matter if it's us or if it's another co-writer. It's like true. these days, it's real. Like it's real easy to wander into a room with somebody who the sky's falling and the music business is over. And if you're in a room with somebody like that and they think that it's over then it it kind of is. is over. But if you're in the room with somebody who's excited and like, oh my God, I love this song. And you, you yeah. know, and you have all this yeah. enthusiasm, 
you are so much more likely to come out of there with a, a, a unbelievable song. One thing I've learned is pretty much whatever you believe is going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are things outside of our control, but probably 80% of it, whatever you believe is going to happen is probably going to happen. In the long term. Yeah. I mean, like, Not- if, if you walk into a writing room and you think, I could never write a hit with this person. Why am I even here? You're not going to write anything good with them, probably. No. But if you walk in excited and inspired and, you know, it's a writer you are so happy to be working with. I mean, that energy is so different. You know, I've thought about what if I just took as much of that energy into every writing appointment? Mm-hmm. You know, what would what would change? I've been trying to do that. It's hard. It, well, it takes a lot of energy. Yeah, it does. It takes a lot of energy to make sure you're not just bitching and complaining when mm-hmm. you come in the door. So I'm going to take a guess here, but I would say if there was one fantasy co-write for you living, would it be Paul Simon? It'd be Paul Simon, Paul McCartney, and Chris Martin. Right on. Well, you know, the other singer we've fallen in love with recently is that kid that won The Voice. Is it? Yeah, yeah. Jordan Smith. And he, like Chris Martin, just a direct hookup to upstairs yeah. when he sings. You just feel like angels are around. It's just crazy. I don't know how that's done, but... It's it, so pure. Yeah. You know, so much of what we do in this business is hard work. You know, I, I don't like the talent talk because I think it makes people think that you don't have to work or something. Really, well, if you write, if you write 10,000 songs, you'll be crazy talented. Yeah, at songwriting. That's what that's that's the message I like to put out. Yeah. That, uh, how do you get better as a songwriter? Write a write five thousand songs. You. I mean, it would be literally impossible not to get better. Exactly. Leonardo da Vinci said, "If you love something enough, it will give up its secrets." Yeah. Now, if you, oh, you know what else Leonardo da Vinci said? What's that? If you knew how hard I worked on this, it wouldn't seem beautiful at exactly. all. Exactly. But we did want to talk about. I wanted to talk about uh, one more thing uh, when we first met. You were waiting tables, right? At Brown's Diner. At Brown's Diner. Was I still working there when we first met? I think you maybe had quit because you got a writing deal. I was still doing weekend shifts. That's where I met Kenny Chesney. We were both so broke. Yeah. So I was about to say, so you signed with Karen with B, uh, what was it? AMR. AMR. What was your weekly pay when you first started? $700 a month. Wow. So. So I had $300. That I paid rent, and I lived in this <laughs> these old people's basement. Yeah, the mice-infested and basement. Yeah, it was like a small china of mice. It was me and me and like ten thousand mice. And uh, you you had just been working at Brown's Diner because your dad told you that you could meet songwriters there. <laughs> My dad also told me you got to work somewhere they serve meat because everybody knows vegetarians don't tip worth a shit. Well, it might have been true, And too. he sent me to Brown's. But I wanted to work at Brown's because when I was in there filling out my job application, first of all, they thought I was insane when I walked in there asking for a job application because all the waitresses there were like, had been there for 30 years. Yeah. And um, when I was in there, I saw, like, I think it was Waylon Jennings and somebody came in mm-hmm. and... Then I realized, oh my God, all the, you know, then I saw another songwriter that was a friend of my dad's and I realized this is a haven for songwriters. I have yeah. got to get a job well, here. Well, and you met, uh, I met Garth, I met Kenny, the I Everly met everybody. Brothers guy. Don Everly Don was Everly, in there every day. Every day. So and all could, I could think with Don Everly was that 
his daughter was married to Axel Rose. So I always waited for Axel Rose to come in. But then Garth would come in. Yep. Uh, Kenny would come in and that's where I met Kenny and he was struggling. So he didn't have any money either. Oh my God. Neither one of us had any money. I felt sorry for him and I would like, he would order a hamburger and water and I would take him fries and a Coke because I knew thought the boat he wanted he it, but, but he couldn't afford it. Yeah. The- but at the same time, I don't know, like they, he would come in with Opryland. I just knew he was as broke as I was. Sure. Well, and you guys have that bond now. Yeah, I, I mean, me- he's yeah. like my brother, too. I mean, I love him. Yeah, I remember. He's a great guy. The first time he came up to our home, he came to one of our Christmas parties, and he gave you a hug. He gave me a hug, and he he, he teared up when he saw our house. Yeah. You've, you've said it before, but, like, if you want to be a hit songwriter, don't move to Nashville and get a, buy a house or get a house no. payment or buy a new oh, Lexus. I'll tell you, a car. I mean, yeah, don't get a car payment. Pay cash for a car and work your ass off. Yeah, and, get a beater car that you buy and for And don't like, give up even when you, like, are praying God to, you know, mm-hmm. take your dream out. Don't give up. Yeah. Just keep going and keep writing. You know, you can come to this town and make something happen. People do it all the time. You know, this is my favorite advice like that I've read or heard in the last couple months. And that is you can fail at doing something you don't love. How good wow, is that? That is good. I mean, so you might as well go try and make it and fail at what you do love. Yeah. But you won't fail if you don't give up. I, That's I true. truly That's believe true. that. We well, we didn't go, but we were talking about it last night. There was a number one party for Kelly Archer. Yep. Who is, uh, if if you don't know Kelly, she's a female songwriter uh, from Canada. She's amazing. She's, she's incredible. Such and she, a sweetheart. She's a fantastic crazy person. Crazy talented. It's crazy talented, and she is kicking butt right now. And she's she, getting, you need to do her on this podcast. I'm going to. She was here for, I could get, this might be a little wrong, but around 18 years, yeah. working her ass off. Well, I thought it was 12. Was it 12 or was it 18? It's a long time. She long, dated my brother. I know. And that so was a long she time just ago. had her first number one yes. party, and but it was like such a having all kinds of hits. But she was preparing to leave to go back home to Vancouver and figuring out what she could do for another career. And then she got this cut, and then uh, now she's she's got all kinds of stuff going. I mean, she's flying to London tomorrow. She's working on. I mean, she's like doing crazy stuff. It's yeah. her career has, and then she couldn't be. It couldn't have happened to a better no, person. No, it couldn't have. She, but she's worked so but hard. It, but I it's believe so it was like twelve see. or fourteen years before she had a yeah. It big was a hit. long time, and she did not quit. Yeah, and that that's you know Josh Keir went a long time without he had some heartbreak. That's right, he did. I remember working at the same publishing company with him, and they were letting him go. And I was like, I went flying in their office. This is the biggest mistake. We both did. We told Karen yeah. Conrad, do not drop. And then Josh I started Keir. trying to figure out how to sign him. Yep. And then fast forward ten years, and he's got three Grammys. Yep. And for you, um, you did have quite a long struggle. Now. You had a unique uh, story. You you got signed pretty quick, and you started having hits pretty quick. Well, the, and young. The first song. How I, old were you when you had your first cut? Twenty two. That's very young. The first song I ever wrote in Nashville got cut, which is that is unheard. That's of. unbelievable. I mean, I feel like an idiot even saying it because, like, no, but it's true. But I also was writing it with somebody who was an amazing singer, and they were an established songwriter. 
even though it was my title and I had a lot to do with it sure, still. Sure. But um but, see, but it Amy, didn't get cut for years. But it was the first song. But here's the deal. You knew you had a good title and you knew you needed to take it to somebody who could yeah. help you yeah. do it and who could sing it. Yeah. You already figured that out, which is one of the biggest things here. If you're writing and there's nobody to sing it, it's tough to find a demo singer. I think the vocal on a song is probably 65% of it getting cut. The demo, we've, on the demo. Yeah, we've got songs that are so damn good with kind of a screwed up vocal. You can't really tell, you know, what it is. And it's so interesting because you would think conventional wisdom would be uh, that the professionals and the A&R people and the producers should be able to hear through that. And that, but but it, often it's, they don't. It's so seductive, like a Hillary Lindsay vocal. Yeah, it's true. Is... It is, most of the people who cut her songs can't sing as good, you know, like, right. and hearing her on, like, when she's doing just her bag, that thing that mm -hmm. she does, you know, like, when someone stops loving you, that kind of song, it's unfair. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. just unfair. Yeah. But I will say one thing, I can, I can go off the deep end about that stuff, but I will say one thing about not being the best singer in the world, and that is... Like, the two biggest songwriters, the two people that have had the most hits in Nashville, it gives me hope because they're not, like, they're not the biggest singers in the world. It That's was true. Bob McDill and Ashley Gordley, I think, just had another couple num more number ones than, mm -hmm. than Bob, but neither one of them sing their demos. Yeah. And they just are badasses, you know, like mm -hmm. that gives me hope. So before, like sometimes if anybody's listening, you're not a great singer. That's, you know, it's not, you don't have to yeah. be. Well, it's, it's very subjective because the thing is, you're a great singer for your vocal. You've been offered, you got offered lots of record deals that you turned down by famous people. I got offered that deal by John Kalodner, yeah. which I thought was cool because he signed Aerosmith. Yeah. And he was totally serious, and he couldn't believe you were turning him down. Well, I'd also just found out I was pregnant with Oscar the same day. And you didn't really want to be, you didn't want to be a recording artist. No, I'm a writer. Yeah. No, I like being a writer, too. Um, I think we're good, Amy Mayo. I think we might have talked for 20 hours. So thank you very much for being on the podcast. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this one. I've had a blast doing it. I love you. Good night. Good night. Thanks for listening to Pitch List, the songwriter's podcast. And remember, we could still use some more five-star reviews and comments on iTunes. Thanks for listening to Pitch List. Thank you. Bye. Is that our, our dog. dog? It's our dog. <laughs> Excuse me, one second. Girlfriend. Girlfriend. Shut up. Quit acting like an idiot.